The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, June 15th, 2016 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I thought I liked the internet. You know, it connects us to all of humanity. Then I met quite a bit of humanity. Time for second thoughts. But, you know, I'm not a technophobe. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not even a technology hand wringer. You know, a Luddite. Anyway, the new app, Fretter, is disrupting the hand-wringing space. So I mostly like the tweeting and the mailing and the YouTubing. But there is, shall we say, a tone on the internet. Now, when people decry the tone of the internet, it's mostly all the stuff that drags people down, the anonymous, hurtful, and nasty, and negative. But that's not what bothers me. I resent the aspect of the internet that is so ridiculously boosterish as to confer upon everything good the status of great and everything great the status of otherworldly. People complain about comment boards on the internet and that it's marked by reductum ad absurdum, that eventually everyone's reduced to the absurd. But I see on the internet, in tweets and on posts and in comment boards, elevationum ad absurdum. Everything's elevated to an absurd degree. For instance, let's take Louis C.K. I love Louis C.K. I've loved him since the 90s. Here, Mike shows his Louis C.K. bona fides. I've seen him live half a dozen times. I like the TV show, Louis. I got indignant when people got indignant about his SNL monologue. I've hunted down all his Howard Stern show appearances. I like Louis. But in an interview with New York Magazine, Louis C.K. made an analogy between the presidential race and airplane pilots. He said, Hillary says, here's my license. Here's the thousands of flights I've flown. Here's the planes I've flown in really difficult situations. I've had some good flights and some bad flights, but I've been flying a long time. I know how the plane works. And then he said, and then you've got Bernie who says, everyone should get a ride right to their house with the plane. It's only fair that everyone gets to use the plane equally. And then Trump says, I'm going to fly so well, you're not going to believe how good I'm going to fly this plane. And by the way, Hillary never flew a plane in her life. Yes, she did. We had pictures. No, she never did. It's insane. You know what? That's fine. That's, I guess, an amusing observation. It's not a bit that he's worked in the clubs and honed and perfected. Just a thing that he came up with. Maybe he's been thinking about it a little bit, but he said it in an interview. It's fine that it was in the interview. This is a crazy election after all. Well, you know, but if someone wrote that on Facebook, someone you knew, and they wrote that analogy, would, would you repost it? Would you expect it to go viral and get a thousand retweets? It's It's just fine. I don't think Louis C.K. would say it's anything other than fine. But we're talking about the internet, where everything is elevationum ad absurdum. HuffPo women. Louis C.K. explains why Hillary Clinton is the most qualified candidate with simple analogy. The independent newspaper in the UK. Louis C.K. just came up with a hilarious analogy for the U.S. presidential race. Esquire. Louis C.K. sums up this presidential race with one brilliant analogy. It was fine. It was just and only fine. The internet. Elevatium ad absurdum. Beyonce. Is Beyonce great? She's great. But oh my God, elevation ad absurdum. And then Hamilton. 
I love Hamilton. Haven't seen Hamilton. Who's seen Hamilton? I mean, getting tickets to Hamilton is like getting a flight on the Concord. A few hundred people get on, but lots of people are outside and they know about the flight and they might have a miniature Concord. And there's Donald Trump going, hey, the Concord's not the best plane. My plane's the best plane. Anyway, Hamilton. So good. Such a good album to listen to, yet so overpraised. And really, when you think about it, I don't, I, I even hesitate to bring this up, but I've been listening to it. My son loves it. Been playing that first song where you first are introduced to Alexander Hamilton. And, you know, I'll say it, doesn't the main song sound a little like, well, well let me just play it. Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. I mean, that does sound a little like... If we could talk to the animals, just imagine it. Chatting Am I crazy? Am I crazy? Oh, I know. Hamilton, the most amazing, the greatest thing anyone's ever thought of in the history of thinking of things. But really, that main song, again, let's hear the song from Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. And compare it with... If I could talk to the animals... Just imagine it. Chatting. Oh, oh, well, not fair. That was Bobby Darin. That dude's a square. Let's hear a swinging version by Sammy Davis. If I could talk to the animals, I'd just imagine it. Chatting. Okay, is it me? Am I crazy? Maybe I'm crazy. But according to the internet, Mike Pasca just made the most brilliant Hamilton observation ever. On the show today, the brilliant observations keep coming. In the spiel, I rank Donald Trump's most ridiculous statements, a cross-generational comparison. But first, are you an owl? Are you a lark? I happen to be an emu, but that gets us no closer to answering the eternal question. Chronotypes, are they bullshit? The cruelest trick that nature ever played on us is setting our circadian rhythms different from the number of hours in a day. I don't know how this worked out, but apparently, well, we know there are 24 hours in a day, yet we're all on a cycle. That's about an hour off from that. That sucks. And maybe that's why you always hear people say, well, I'm a night owl or, well, I'm a lark. I'm sure a lot of it is not wanting to get up in the morning also, but maybe the people don't want to get up really are not night owls. The technical, I don't know if it's technical, but the fancier term for this is chronotype. If you are a night person or a day person, and we're here to interrogate the idea of chronotype, and here in the interrogation room on the other end of this two-sided glass is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Confidence Game. She comes in to play Is That Bullshit with us, and today we're talking about chronotypes. Hello, Maria. What kind of chronotype are you? I'm a night owl. What about you, Mike? Well, I'm definitely not a lark, but I used to be such a night owl until I had to get up in the morning, and then I did it. So, Well, this, that's me too. Yeah. So this makes, me, this makes me suspicious of the idea of chronotype. In fact, in my life now, I'm always agitating to go to uh, sleep earlier than my girlfriend who says, you know, stay up, watch a little Colbert. I'm like, I'll watch it online. I've got this commitment to sleep. I'm... Trending towards Lark, maybe. But, you know, so how real is this, I guess, is the question. Let me say a few things. First, it is real. 
So mm. people do have chronotypes that are genetically determined, and it's very easy to find out what yours is. Secondly, chronotypes change over time. Ah. They shift a little bit. And as you grow older, and we, we know where you stand in mm-hmm. the aging cycle, Mike, mm-hmm. your chronotype... It's not a cycle. <laughs> it's, a, it's a plunge going over the cliff. Um, you do start... Your chronotype does move earlier. Okay. So the elderly, like yes, you... Like I'm about to be, yeah. ...are more likely to be uh, larks. Yeah. Whereas teenagers are more likely to be owls. So there are two there are two things. First, you have your genetic chronotype. And second, you have age-related changes within that chronotype. So someone who's a total night owl will probably never become a lark completely, mm-hmm. but the chronotype will shift a little bit. So, I'm not a so lark in that. I don't I don't wake up uh, a singing and a flutter, so, but I can wake up now and I do. Well, and so, get so some here's, and I'm okay. here's a test for you. Yeah. Go away for a week by yourself without your kids or your girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. That's step one. And then go to bed when you feel tired and wake up without an alarm and do that for a week yeah. and see what happens. How does your body naturally wind up? That's your chronotype. That's the way that anyone who's listening can test their chronotype. Just Quit your job and go away for a week. I tried to do that, but the Indiana State Correctional Facility <laughs> was not allowing me just to set my own schedule. Yeah, it's yeah. the only way I know of to go away without kids and girlfriend and jobs. Yes. So, so people do adjust. You have to, um, especially if you're a night owl, because society is built for larks. Um, larks are much more actually able to take advantage of a lot of things because they are internal rhythms are aligned with when they actually need to wake up versus mm-hmm. go to bed. For owls, it's a constant struggle because you are always fighting against that. But if you take that away, people will naturally gravitate back to their original chronotype. Now, we say natural, but isn't so much of it determined by light, by unnatural light, and by blue light from devices? Mm-hmm. I mean, absent this, wouldn't most of these people who say they're owls be going to bed? Like, Put it this way, wouldn't they be thinking of midnight as midnight? No, no. So it, it actually ends up that about 40% of people genetically are night owls. So researchers have identified different genotypes for for night owls versus larks. So we actually know that there are genes that control the length of your sleep cycle and how exactly your sleep cycle is regulated. So yes, there are circadian rhythms. That's different. So circadian rhythms are very similar for everyone because those are light dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens with that is you have something called, so how tired you are is actually dictated by multiple factors. And one of them is like your if you're chronotype. you PBS NewsHour. Yes, one, exactly. Yeah. One of them is your chronotype, but one of them is homeostatic drive. And what homeostatic drive says is the longer you've been awake, the more tired you are. And so if you are a lark, this is why society is built for you, because society is actually, it makes sense to have, you know, things happen during the day and people to wake up (laughs) when it's light. And so for you, those two things are completely aligned, because you wake up when you would naturally wake up, and then you get more and more tired as your body is telling you, as your chronotype is saying, yeah, we want to go to bed now. So those things are actually totally aligned and you're good. So then you go to bed, you know, when it's dark and all is well. For night owls, those two things actually end up fighting against each other because you're awake longer. And so your homeostatic drive is saying, okay, guys, time to go to bed. But your chronotype is saying, no, no, I don't want to go to bed. I actually, I'm feeling very active. And so there's, there's a tension there. Yeah. 
But do do larks and owls need the same amount of sleep? Yes. They just, but they just don't get the same amount of sleep. Right. The owl's like, exactly. I'm, ready, I'm ready to park. Exactly. Which is, which is a majorly problematic because we've talked before about the importance of getting enough sleep mm-hmm. um, and how bad it is not to and how we don't realize the signs of fatigue because we get used to it. But night owls really are disadvantaged. You're not functioning as well. You do function better at night, even... If you get used to waking up in the morning, I have some good quotes from Ben Franklin: "Early to bed, early to rise." We've got we've got Aristotle: "Rising before daylight is to be commended; it is a healthy habit." You've got you've got a lot of moralistic judgment about yeah. people who are night owls. We really get the short end of the stick. Yeah, but but all the stuff about being fun and cool is about uh, only the nighttime. I believe there was a Steve Winwood song to that effect. <laughs> so you have Aristotle on the one hand and Steve Winwood on the other hand. Let that I'll be go your with, guide. I'll go with Steve any yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. Which one did a commercial for Miller High Life? Exactly. Yeah, but it's, it's not an ideal situation. And what ends up happening because of the age differences is not only is society a lark society rather than a night owl society. But think about start times for kids when they should be getting the most amount of sleep. The people who are the night owliest of the night owls, I mean, teens are basically all night owls. They're um, almost vampires. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're basically vampires. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So if you, you're forcing them to wake up at a time that for their body is like waking an adult up around three or four in the morning. And there's a theory that we have overdiagnosis of ADHD right now because the symptoms of being overtired in children mimic the symptoms of ADHD Mm. because you can't pay attention. You're hyperactive because your body is trying to compensate. And so a lot of these kids who people think have attention disorders are actually just sleep deprived. Yeah. If we know one thing about owls, they could concentrate on, say, a field mouse for a long, long time before swooping. Absolutely. But only as long as you let them sleep during the day. Now, we talk about larks and owls. What we're talking about is essentially the nocturnal or the diurnal. What I strive to be is crepuscular, which is, of course, around dusk or dawn. And I recently found out that if you're dusk, mostly dusk motivated, that would be, you know, after sunset, your vespertine. And if you're mostly dawn dependent, that's uh, matutinal, matutinal. I learn something new every day. Yeah. So the adult firefly is a crepuscular beetle because it's more of a twilight. Uh-huh. Think about when, when the light goes down and the fireflies yeah. come out. So what well, are you? I'm crepuscular. So you're a, be- yeah. you're a firefly. I'm, 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 a, I'm a firefly. I'm very robust. I'm a muscular crepuscular, mm-hmm. just so you know. All right. So let's play the is that bullshit, is that firefly shit game. And we'll ask chronotypes. Are they bullshit? No, they're not. People who say they're owls probably are owls, and people who say they're larks, screw them. (laughs) Maria Konnikova is more owly, but trending towards the lark, aren't we all? She is the author of The Confidence Game, and she joins us to play Is That Bullshit? Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel, top 1,000 crazy. We, in the media, help Donald Trump a lot. Not just by giving the airwaves over to him. I could defend that. This morning on Morning Joe, 
all they did was talk about Trump. Every single thing they did was talking about Trump, and it was just a total evisceration. Now, I know there's some media watchdog group coding that as Trump getting hours and hours of free publicity, but it really tests the hypothesis that any publicity is good publicity, right, as long as you spell your name right. In this case, his name is spelled D-I-S-A-S-T-E-R. But here is what I mean. This is what I mean by helping Trump. We got that reaction from the president. We got the reaction from the press. We got the reaction from Paul Ryan. Everyone decrying Trump's repeated call to ban all Muslims. But that's not even what he said. Let me remind you of what he actually said. When I'm elected, I will suspend immigration from areas of the world where there is a proven history of terrorism against the United States, Europe, or our allies, until we fully understand how to end these threats. In other words, he wants to ban everyone from everywhere. In fact, by that definition, areas of proven history with terrorism against Europe or U.S. or allies, I I, I wonder if we can still get from Oklahoma to Kansas. But we say Trump reiterates a ban on Muslims. That implies that there was an actual iteration. Yes, I know he said that in other contexts, but he's just mostly incoherent. We make him seem coherent. I would say it's because it's easier to throw a spear at a charging rhino than it is to throw a spear at fog. And what Trump gives us is mostly fog, a thick, thick miasmic mist, and those oh, those crazy, crazy statements, unprecedentedly crazy, more than everyone else combined. I, I do this TV show, or I've been on this TV show on the History Channel called How to Lose the Presidency, and they, they show a clip of Mike Dukakis riding a tank or Rick Perry forgetting the Department of Education, and it's, it's, all, it's all the gaffes that people committed on the way to trying to get elected. I think that all of Trump's combined gaffes are not just worse than any one candidate, but worse than every single candidate. Not everyone who ran, but all the eventual nominees. I really believe that. Everyone who ever got the official nomination for president, add them all up, they're not as crazy as Trump. I mean, and not just the things he says, the things he does. The other day, he hugged a flag. He hugged a flag. He almost humped it. It was like it was his grandpa returning from war or like his own daughter. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. (laughs) That clip, that one clip, that semi-forgotten clip, yeah, we might know he said it. That would have been the biggest gaffe of every presidential election from 1824 to 1972. Yesterday, Trump alleged that U.S. servicemen stole millions of dollars during the Iraqi reconstruction. People were outraged. How could he say this? It turns out he's right. They did. But then his spokeswoman weighed in and said, no, he wasn't talking about U.S. servicemen stealing money. He was talking about Iraqis. Let's hear the clip. You decide. How about bringing baskets of money, millions and millions of dollars, and handing it out? I want to know who are the soldiers that had that job? Because I think they're living very well right now, whoever they may be. Even that clip's nowhere near the Trump top 10. You know the Trump top 10, right? I like heroes who weren't captured and mocking the disabled newspaper journalist, and I had a bad earpiece, and that's why I didn't know the Ku Klux Klan was a nasty organization. There was, of course, this one. Oh, I love this one. Donald J. Trump is... Yes, we know you're Donald J. Trump. Go on. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on? I think most presidential pronouncements can be improved with that tag. This is a day that will live in infamy until we can figure out what the hell is going on. He says what we're thinking, just so long as we're not thinking clearly, 
or much at all. I was thinking of the last election. Remember Mitt Romney? He had some gaffes, talked about the 47%. There was a self-deportation. There was, I like firing people. But I think this one took on a life of its own. We took a concerted effort to go out and find women who had backgrounds that could be qualified to become members of our cabinet. I went to a number of women's groups and said, can you help us find folks? And they brought us whole binders full of, uh, of women. We got crazy with that one. There were Facebook pages and memes and Halloween costumes. And I was just wondering, where would that rank on the Trump list? Would it be in the top 50? So with the help of John D. Domenico reading some of Trump's tweets, I started going through the list. All right, let's top 50. Let's go to number 50. Do you believe in punishment for abortion? Yes or no? Is a principle. Uh, the answer is that there has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah, there has to be some form. Oh, God. Binders full of women doesn't even touch that. Let's go down. Let's go way down the list. Lion Ted Cruz just used a picture of Melania from a GQ shoot in his ad. Be careful, Lion Ted, or I will spill the beans on your wife. All right, that was barely in the top 200. We got to go further down, further down. Here, remember this one? Well, the polls, they say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? All right, binders full of women is not even close to that. All right, here's number 250. Wisconsin has suffered a great loss of jobs and trade. But if I win, all of the bad things happening in the U.S. will be rapidly reversed. Oh, my God. Let's skip to number uh, 600. Isn't it a shame that the person who will have by far the most delegates and many millions more votes than anyone else may still must fight. All right, all right. Ah, here we go. We're now at number 943 of the list. But if you go to various places in California, wind is killing all of the eagles. You know, if you shoot an eagle, you kill an eagle. They want to put you in jail for five years. And yet the windmills are killing hundreds and hundreds of eagles. One of the most beautiful, one of the most treasured birds, and they're killing by the hundreds and nothing happens. So wind is, you know, it's a problem. Yeah, this is where we slot it. By the way, PolitiFact checked it. It's mostly wrong, a big overstatement. So it was inaccurate. Like, why is he talking about windmills killing eagles? So that is ridiculous Trump quote, 943. And I believe binders full of women would slot in right under that. So We've established where we are on the Trump index. Had Trump said binders full of women, it would indeed be in the top 1,000. Of course, let's remember, there are still five more months of campaign to go. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson is neither an owl nor a lark, but is alert in the morning, tends to trail off at night, and gets especially restive around the open forests of older Ponderosa pines across the West, she is a pygmy nuthatch. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, is definitely an owl. 
He doesn't like to stay up late or anything, but what he does is he compresses his meal into a pellet and then it travels down to his gizzard. It remains there for up to 10 hours and then it's regurgitated. I know this because I've been behind him at the buffet. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, is a Lark Voorhees fan club member. Unironically, you can read all about it in his Kindle single, Lark Voorhees, the girl who saved, saved by the bell. The gist not a lark, but not quite an owl. Trending owl, crepuscular, like a goat sucker. Oomperu, depuru, dupuru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>